What do we miss if we don't know church history? And why would we want to study it? Those are the questions we began asking last week with our All Saints podcast, and we're going to continue talking about it this week. I'm Connie Willems. I'm Brock Bingaman. And welcome to this All Saints conversation. We did have a great start last week with looking at church history, and we used some material by Justo Gonzalez. He has this wonderful book he's written called The Story of Christianity, the Early Church to the Present Day. And this is actually a book that we'll be using in our church history course. And Brock, I know that you have loved what he has done. And so you have found this engaging and wanted to bring it to people that we could look at. Yeah, and we're trying to have some variety in these podcasts. So to take just a couple of pages, really, from Gonzalez and use that as a springboard to our conversation. It's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. Last week, we saw that God entered into human histories. So there's this great quote that we're going to start with. Excellent. Without understanding that past, we are unable to understand ourselves. For in a sense, the past still lives in us and influences who we are and how we understand the Christian message. Without understanding the past, we are unable to understand ourselves. What do you think he means by that? I think in our conversations around this, we've got to know where we've come from. You and I talked about studying church history is an invitation to learn some things about our roots. And so I think that's part of what he's getting at here. I think this radiates out into many different things, but I think that is one understanding of this. I've realized even when I look back and not just the roots of my lifetime, but my family's roots, I have this kind of a heritage where I can look back and I can see for generations Hmm. how my Mennonite heritage that I have to tell the story of when I tell somebody says, well, where are you from or what's your background? It's inevitably I'm telling the story of church history just by talking about my family roots, which was an unusual thought for me when I recognized that. Hmm. And there's something enriching that happens when you research that and when you talk, when you get in touch with those roots. So I think Gonzalez is saying that here. We are going to learn more about who we are and who we're not as we research and trace out our Christian roots, our and Christian heritage. I happen to have that in my literal family heritage, but in my spiritual heritage, even if somebody doesn't know their family heritage, we all have roots that go back. That's right. Because somebody told us about God or brought us into the faith and somebody told that person. And so you have a great, great, great grandmother in your spiritual heritage line that's different from your family line. That's right. That would take many of us into Native American heritage and these kinds of things. So I think the more we can learn about our spiritual heritage. Some people would say, well, I'm part of a movement that's newer. And so we really don't have, our roots are shallow. Usually, even if you trace that out, those newer movements are responses to or reactions to previous movements. So we each have this genealogy that goes all the way back. This is fun, actually. This is a lot of fun, whether you're Orthodox or Baptist or Lutheran, to look at your spiritual roots is an informative and formative experience. 
it's also a bit sobering. He goes on to say the notion that we read the New Testament exactly as the early Christians did without any weight of tradition coloring our interpretation, that notion is an illusion. It's also a dangerous illusion, for it tends to absolutize our interpretation, confusing it with the Word of God. Let's unpack this a little bit because he uses some heady language here. What, what do you think he's saying? The notion that we read the New Testament exactly as the early church did without any weight of tradition is an illusion. Well, frankly, I think I have lived in that illusion and been in churches that not deliberately were being part of an illusion. We just didn't think much about church history, but we loved the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to hang strictly onto scripture. And there's been different times over the years when I've recognized, wait a minute, there's a tradition behind this church line that I'm in that I didn't recognize. I thought I had the pure reading and I didn't realize the extent to which tradition built into it. Everybody has a set of spectacles on, don't we? When we're reading the scriptures or we're reading a particular history, this is something that Protestants struggle with because we think that we've broken free. In the 16th century, 1517, Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and others helped us. We were liberated from unnecessary Catholic tradition, and it's just misleading to think that that's the, the case. And now, because of that, we can approach the scriptures without any filters, without any grids. It's, it's just not true. I wish it were true. Yeah. Well, this is a this is something that I've I've had to research out and and discover is that scripture itself is tradition, something that was passed down over time. So really the idea that we can get away from any tradition is a misnomer, it's misleading. The the truth is to get closer to the purest form, the purest teaching that we can. And oftentimes this is an argument to go back and study the early church's interpretation of the scriptures. Getting closer to the root is a good thing. <laughs> I grew up in a church that somewhere along the line, either a professor or a teacher or someone in my church taught me very carefully to be aware and just be alert about very recent doctrines that it was a little bit suspect if it came up recently just to be aware of that and to say you know the best doctrinal traditions are going to be the oldest ones that you can be in which sounded extremely sound to me mm -hmm. and then i distinctly remember the point at which i realized wait a minute mm -hmm. some of the church doctrines that i'm actually being taught emerged in the late 1800s which was a hundred years ago certainly not the earliest traditions like what the, the doctrine that you're talking about. Just very specifically, it was dispensationalism. Yeah. I grew up in a dispensational background. Yeah. And so the people who were teaching me this viewpoint of how to look at church history, how to look at God's economies in the world, were also the ones saying, be careful about recent doctrine. <laughs> and yet dispensationalism emerged with a couple of people in the late 1800s. Hmm. So some tension there, some contradiction, a There paradox. was real tension there. Yeah. And yeah. I'm not sure if they recognized it as they were teaching it, but it came alive for me when I began reading history and discovering where this thing that I was taught 
had emerged. Yeah. And dispensationalism, beginning in 1890s around there, has developed into many different forms and expressions of it. But the truth is, it's pretty new. It's novel. So had, had you gone back, which you eventually did, and researched uh, the first four or 500 years of the church, dispensationalism wasn't there. Wasn't right. even on the horizon. That's right. Now, some of some dispensational scholars would go back and say that it is, but it's it's not uh, real compelling evidence for sure. So that is really intriguing. And it was one of those times when finding out the history did what Justo Gonzalez talks about. He's saying you can't even notice you're wearing a lens until you look back and discover what some of the lenses are. And that's what happened to me. I looked back and then became aware, oh, I have this lens on and there are other ways of viewing this. It's interesting while you're saying that too, I think of some of the reformers, someone like Calvin, for example, is trying to go get back to the root of scripture. And lo and behold, he goes back to the root of scripture through people like Augustine and others. So he is even working through some filters because these are great interpreters of the scriptures that present ways through difficult places in scripture. And so Calvin's relying on them. So really the idea that there is a filterless, gridless approach to the Bible is is misleading, isn't it? So what do we do then? Do we just become aware of our own lenses? Because you don't want to land in a place where everything is meaningless because, oh, it must be a lens. Right. And we're touching on some of the modern and postmodern conundrums that people like us would encounter. If we begin to look at church history and begin to approach Scripture in different ways, this can lead to some puzzling conclusions. It can also, just like we talked about earlier, it can lead to the idea that I've, I've got to become Catholic. I've got to become Orthodox because they have a continuity. There's a, a continuum of consensus. And so this can lead some people to think that they need to convert to Orthodoxy or to convert to Catholicism. And have you run into that as people are studying history and studying these various approaches that they start to make that kind of shift? Certainly. Yes. Oftentimes I do. I've had friends and colleagues. And you know what? I understand that. I really do. I empathize with that. And I think that is the path and calling for some people. Um, I have walked that out over 20 years. And it's actually, I've come to a different conclusion. I'm staying rooted in my Protestant tradition. But this kind of looking at church history and other people's traditions has broadened my love and affection for the church mm. and for other sisters and brothers. So I really think we have to hear from God. We have to be rooted in our particular community, our tradition, and follow that out. So I do think this is important, though, for all saints. Some people could misunderstand what we're doing. We're really not out to convince people to study church history and do these things and therefore convert to some of these ancient traditions. I have found... A similar thing that you have found when I've, I had a, a season where I was attending an Anglican church. Mm -hmm. And so there were things that were rooted in traditions that were very new to me, mm -hmm. old traditions, new mm -hmm. to me, that all of a sudden took on life for mm -hmm. me. And it wasn't that I then felt like I need to make 
really dramatic shifts, but it built such richness into my life. Yeah. And I would be so much the poorer without it. Mm. And I would want that for our for our All Saints students, that they would they would experience some of that and say, my life is richer. My life and my connection with God and my ability to relate with him and my understanding of his work and his action in his church is richer mm. because of this. That's a beautiful plug for All Saints. <laughs> That's really what we want to do. We want to inhabit that space and get get us, get others to look outside of our narrow kind of tunnel vision that we have in our own tradition and to see that God has been up to some amazing things in other traditions, in other streams. God is big, God is bigger than any particular denomination or any particular tradition. Some people view all of the denominations or traditions and they're troubled by it. I think that God's characteristics, God's features are expressed through many, many different means like this, denominations and trends. I had a come to Jesus moment about that lately where I was thinking about church history and all these traditions and just this huge spectrum of everything that's so different from the Orthodox world all the way over to the Amish world, which could not be further apart. I was just pondering on this vast array. And I really sensed Jesus saying, isn't the church beautiful? Mm -hmm. And it startled me because I was not thinking about it being beautiful. I was just picturing the divisions and dissensions and differences and of this array. And he was saying, isn't my bride beautiful? Yeah. Look at my bride. Isn't she beautiful? And I realized how um, entranced Jesus is with the church. Mm -hmm. That is the body and bride of Christ. I actually had the come to Jesus moment was me thinking, if I'm going to love Jesus, I have to love his church the way he does. Mm -hmm. And I tend to view this vast array and the denominational differences and the splintered groups as a lot of problems to be solved or just problems waiting to be created or times when humans got it wrong and therefore we have all this awfulness that has cropped up in church history. Mm -hmm. And here's Jesus saying, isn't my church beautiful? Beautiful. And therefore it's an invitation to learn from him about his church. Yeah. Why wouldn't we want to have a broader perspective and look at and investigate prayerfully research his bride throughout time and across the world today? so that I see it through his eyes and not mine. Yeah. I think this is something we've been talking about too with all saints is getting, uh, doing some field work. So as we're doing some research into church history over 12 weeks to get people to go and experience a Catholic mass, to go to the Orthodox church and experience the liturgy, to go to a Pentecostal church, and experience the way that they're doing worship, to go to a historic black church and participate in the richness of their worship experience. This is the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ. And for some, there's a sense of conformity, but I, I don't think, I think what you're saying is the Lord, uh, there's great variety. There's huge variety, and it's almost part of when you 
when you are in love with another person and you start seeing these various facets of their personality and their character kind of shine out, mm-hmm. it, you're drawn to them all the more. And that's what I was sensing Jesus drawn to in his church, that those differences were part of those facets. And there's very different understandings. Some of his mystery and richness and beauty might be in one tradition. Another tradition might glimmer out more of his incisive intellect. Mm -hmm. And it all begins to glimmer out. He's like, oh, isn't my church wonderful? Look at it here and here and here and here. Yeah. And we should... uh... We should be open to experiencing these things and, frankly, be uncomfortable. Put ourselves into situations where we get out of our comfort zone. What's happened to you when you've done that? Well, I'm uncomfortable, one. <laughs> but it usually rattles my my system, my way of interpreting what I think I know. And I usually uh, walk away with some broader horizons, broader perspectives. Now, I will say what we're talking about is not um, what some people say was happening in the 1960s with the World Council of Churches, as wonderful as that was. Some viewed that as a theological kumbaya. Yeah. Like we all come together, yeah. all Catholics, all Protestants, all Orthodox. Docs, let's all come together, circle up. We really believe and practice the same things. That's not what we're talking about. Frankly, that was needed after World War One and Two. We needed the churches to come together in some peaceful ways. But now it's a different discourse. It's a different dialogue. It's still let's circle up and learn from one another, but we can agree to disagree. So the richness of uh, dialogue across traditions um, is pretty exciting now. Because there is, there, people are disagreeing and still uh, cultivating friendship in the midst of that. It's not let's all force one another to toe the same line. Or There are certain non-negotiables when we're a follower of Jesus and we practice the scriptures. But there are lots of other things that are outside of uh, the main and the plain and the creeds that we can practice differently and yet still be Christian sisters and brothers. And I actually find that challenge of when I say, oh, there are secondary issues. Do I really believe Mm -hmm. that there are secondary issues? And that gets challenged when I'm around someone different from me. Mm -hmm. Am I really going to agree to disagree on a secondary issue? Or Mm -hmm. am I going to say, no, you have to, I am, that's too uncomfortable for me. You have to conform or I have to conform. We can't live in this tension. But I don't know about you and others, but I tend to be a know-it-all. So I think that, oh, I figured that out. And part of getting older, um, I realize I don't know much. I really don't. The more I know, the more there is to know. So I judge other people, judge other traditions. And what I find is going and having an informed opinion, conversing with them, dialoguing with them, watching them worship, worshiping with them. I walk away my heart's tenderized toward them. Mm. And so I want to move away from being a know-it-all. And I do have my firm convictions. that, And I'll have irreducible differences with other people, but I want to know God's family. I want to know the body of Christ, the church. And there is always so much more to learn about other people. I'm less inclined to judge others. Yeah. I've been known to say more than once that I feel like I need to switch Christian subcultures every few years because I don't recognize what I'm getting entrenched in until I'm around people who are different from me, who think different than I do. Mm. 
almost what we're talking about now. We're talking about doing history because mm-hmm. we're talking about going and dialoguing and and engaging with that. Yeah. And that is what Justo Gonzalez, as we've been reading, is talking about. He's saying we're doing history, and there's a point where doing history converges with the making of history. This is heavy. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just going to read this. Mm-hmm. When we study the life and work of past generations, and when we interpret it, we're doing history. But we must remember that future generations will read about our times in past history. In that sense, like it or not, both by our actions and by our inaction, we are making history. And Brock, why don't you pick it up there? I'm trying to ponder this because we've Mm. read this over and over again. This is rich. Gonzalez says, this is both an exhilarating opportunity and an awesome responsibility. And it demands that we do history in order to be able to make it more faithfully. I love this part (laughs) right here. Every renewal of the church, every great age in its history has been grounded on a renewed reading of history. Would you agree with that? For the most part, yes. Yeah, I think we see renewal of the church, great revivals, when there is a renewed reading of history, a rediscovery of Scripture, a rediscovery of what the Word of God really says, a rediscovery maybe of people throughout church history who have rediscovered what Jesus taught, what mm-hmm. the Scriptures teach. So, yeah, I find it pretty uh, pretty compelling. You know, what came to mind as you were talking about that was the time way back in the Old Testament after the Israelites had returned to Jerusalem from exile and they rediscovered the law mm-hmm. and a revival of life and worship broke out mm-hmm. when they said, just read the law to us. And there's this wonderful passage where they stand mm-hmm. all day just listening to it because they're so hungry, because they rediscovered yeah. and something broke out. Oh, that whole renewal and Ezra and Nehemiah, yeah. it's powerful stuff. I think of Jesus and some of the religious leaders around him. They were losing the plot and he, they challenge him and he points back to the word of God. He points back to Deuteronomy 6 and he reorients their understanding. He says, hey, what's most important is loving the Lord and loving other people. And so, in a sense, he's giving them a renewed reading of the Scriptures. And think we could do that over and over again. We could look throughout church history. We think for Protestants and what Luther was doing in the early 16th century and rediscovering the Book of Romans and rediscovering what Augustine discovered as he poured over the book of Romans and salvation is by faith through grace and these kinds of things. So I I think this would hold up. I think what you said there is really key, losing the plot. Mm, That if we don't read the story, we lose the plot. Mm. And we wander around forgetting where the story's going. And reading history and doing history reorients us to the plot. That's right. That was happening within Scripture itself. People rediscovering the plot. Love for God, love for people, that God is making all things new and inviting us into it. And then extra-biblical history after the closing of the New Testament and these things, we, we find that same kind of cycle. So I think church history is an invitation, as Gonzalez is saying here, 
to encounter God, to rediscover the one who the plot is all about. The story is about the living God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. So study church history to learn more about the activity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and to read the scriptures with fresh energy and vigor and to have a group of people around us, the communion of saints that we're learning from and their writings as we research the scriptures and we research church history. Sounds like fun. It does sound like fun. It begs the question then for me, as he's talking about that we move from doing history to making history, that what we're participating in right now will be someone's history in the future. Mm. Wow. Yeah, I'm not sure that I'm comfortable with the idea of making history, but whether I'm comfortable with it or not, I am. Mm. I've had this question as I think about that. What kind of history, if I got to choose, would I want to make? Oh, geez. I hope you can figure <laughs> that out. I, mean, I, I think, too, just we grappled with this paragraph right here. The doing of history, correct me if I'm wrong, is really researching it, studying it, learning it. That's mm -hmm. doing history, right? right? Doing historical research. Yeah. And then he's arguing that by our action or inaction, we're actually making history. Uh, that's sobering. That's pretty terrifying. It's extremely sobering. I can see it easily with people of the past, mm -hmm. how they banded together and either acted or they should have taken action and they didn't, mm. and something continued going. It's harder for me to look around in the present and say, oh, here, here is where the thing is that's going to shape history, oh. much less think I have some peace in that. Wow, even as you're saying this, Connie, I'm just, uh, yeah, uh, this is sobering. I, I don't know. I think it moves us to action. What do we see in our contemporary context or milieu and say, I, I want to address this. The Spirit of God is leading me to address this. And to join up with the people that, because if the Spirit of God is doing it, it's probably not just in you. That's right. He's doing it in others as well. Mm -hmm. And so it even forces us to look outside of ourselves and say, what is God doing right now? And how can I join up with that? Wow, I'm glad you have the answers <laughs> on that, right? That is, again, what we'll be doing in All Saints. We don't want to just look at history, and we want to be invited to do history and to make it. That's challenging. And what Gonzalez is saying here, this is not merely academic. This is deeply spiritual, and this is something that we do in communion with Jesus and with one another, as you're saying. This is a communal exercise and enterprise, isn't it? There's no way not to do it. And it also humbles me as I look at different movements around the Christian world today. Mm -hmm. And there's some that I might go, oh, I kind of disapprove of them. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that I'm free to do that because what if that is God making history through some very messy human people? That's right. Kind of like, wasn't it Gamaliel in the New Testament who said, if God is in this, it will move forward. But we need to be careful of not getting ourselves in a position where we're working against God. We're fighting against God. Another thing we would learn from studying church history, the criteria. What makes a movement uh, in line with apostolic teaching, in line with what the church councils have come to consensus on this is we need to know these things yes what are the in, marks of god in action that's right 
we don't want to be found resisting <laughs> what God's doing. So I think this is a beautiful three pages that Gonzalez lays out. If you would like to see what we've been reading from, you will be able to find a scan of it on our website at allsaints.center. And we'd love to have you just download it and take a read of it for yourself. It's worth taking a look at. And I just, I want to say too, this is the second track. Our first track that we're going to focus on for 12 weeks will be experiencing God through scripture. So we'll start with the study of the scriptures, and then we'll be moving into the study of church history, and then we'll also be talking about the third track, which is spirituality, spiritual formation, looking at some of the great Christian classics along that line. Because studying scripture and then studying God's move through history poises us to go deep into the more personal aspect. Yes. Well, we're going to look forward to it. And we'll be talking with you again soon. This has been Connie Willems. And Brock Bingman. And we're with All Saints, a center for theology, spirituality, and leadership. And we've enjoyed talking with you. Thank you, Connie. And thank you for listening. 